Uh, I think God wants to speak to us about his presence this weekend. He wants to speak to us about him breaking in more and more to us. I don't think I've ever quite been as excited about an event uh, than I have been about this event for a long time. I've been really stirred by it, actually, really excited. Often we come into these uh, settings and, uh, you know, we just, some of us are quite tired, some of us are quite worn out, and we're just looking for a bit of refreshment, a bit of fellowship, a bit of friendship. But I sense God uh, is going to catch us up in his purpose purposes this weekend. Uh, I sense that God is going to stir us with something new. And I just feel since the beginning of the year, I'm, just, I'm not going to preach out of a passage at all, although I will mention some passages of the Bible, you'll be pleased to know. Uh, I'm going to really just tell a story of what God's been stirring us in over the last six to eight weeks. And then also just land that in some of the prophetic that I feel God's been speaking to us as a group of churches. So we're kind of addressing Christ Central churches, but also addressing uh, brothers and sisters who are guests here. If you are a guest, you are so welcome. I know there's one or two people looking in, one or two people visiting. You are so very, very welcome amongst us. Also, welcome to those who joined the party a little late uh, coming in today uh, rather than last night. You are also too very, very welcome. Beginning of the year, we always do this. The last few years, we've gathered together our core team, core apostolic team, and we've had a day of prayer and fasting, and usually invited friends to be with us from outside. Last uh, two or three years, actually, we invited Dave Fellingham and Andy to be with us in various settings. Well, this year it was Dave uh, Fellingham, and if those of you who don't know, Dave and Rosie Fellingham, very, very good friends of ours. Uh, known, I've known Dave since uh, 1982, when I was on the first Coastlands year of training in residence in Brighton. And uh, in those days, uh, we had to do service to the elders. That was our responsibility. And uh, I, think, I think we should bring it back. It, since I became an elder, it ceased. But uh, when I was a young lad in New Frontiers, we had to do service to the elders on a Monday. And uh, my, I was assigned to the, the Fellinghams. And I can remember digging their garden and doing all sorts of things. But just the... the I know, I know. <laughs> because nobody else was going to do it. (laughs) And and I just remember getting to know them really so well as a young man. I was only 18 years old. Just the impact that Dave had and Rosie had on our lives and still have. So we had this day of prayer. I won't go into too many old stories, don't worry. I had this day of, uh, we had this day of prayer together and uh, Dave started it off and we often say, come on Dave, have you got anything, anything God's been saying to you? And Dave shared this just remarkable dream that he'd had. And I think at the end of this message, I'll probably get Dave up to share the dream and share that vision. Actually, I won't spoil it uh, by saying it now, but it was a sense of God moving afresh amongst us. The sense of word spirit together and God doing something remarkable amongst us. And also Dave had come across some old documents uh, of his family, his family History goes right back into the Booth, Salvation Army, Revival Times, and had recently found some new documents and some accounts, and was just reading to us diary entries, newspaper cuttings that were directly affected to him, directly connected to his family, and it just did something in our spirits, and I can't say that I've ever sensed or tasted such an excitement about revival uh, that I did that day. And uh, we got up to pray, as we do, after we've shared. And all I can say is I felt something in my hand. It wasn't a person, you know. It was like, I felt, oh, I've got something in my hand. It was like a kind of open vision. And I, I sensed, I felt, I'd literally got a shovel in my hand. I said, what's that? Why have I, we started to pray, why have I got a shovel in my hand? And I felt God say, I want you to dig ditches. Uh, <laughs> right? That's actually relevant, isn't it? I never thought of that. Dig Dave's garden. <laughs> Never thought of that. But I want you to dig ditches. I want you to dig ditches. And I kind of thought, yeah, there's probably something in the Bible about digging ditches. And I couldn't quite remember where it was. And, but anyway, I, the next week, as it so happened, every year I have the privilege of being invited by Terry Virgo, who uh, leads the family of New Frontiers, the wider family of New Frontiers, has led that, pioneered that for generations, now entering a new phase of his life as he's released sons to become fathers in their own uh, spheres, as it were, as you know the story. But Terry still gathers national leaders. So you have the leaders of the Vineyard Movement, you have the leaders of... Um, 
uh, Salt and Light, you have some Anglican, key Anglicans, some key FIEC evangelicals, some charismatic movement leaders. I mean, it's just it's fascinating. You, 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 it, to hear John Mumford's my favourite. Do you know John Mumford? He leads the. He's frightfully like this. We said, tell us some tell us some stories, John. He said, Well, I was on the phone to uh, to, to my son the other day, and you know who his son is, don't you? Marcus Mumford, who uh, Mumford and Sons, you might have heard of his little band. He said, "I was on the phone. I was on the phone to my son the other day, and he said, 'I'm, I'm speaking to you from the the bar in California that John Wimber met the Lord.' And it's uh, he said, 'Man, I've got a couple of two other friends with me here.' He said, uh, uh, Bono and the Edge, <laughs> whoever they are, you know." <laughs> It's just hilarious being in that setting, and, uh, but also so stirring. And then I had the privilege of staying on with Terry for a day in his new home in Sussex and just down the road from where you guys are and where you guys live. In fact, that building you were talking about is the very building where Terry and Wendy are now based. And uh, just spent an evening and a morning with Terry overnight. I've done that once or twice before, just pray with him in the morning. It's wonderful. And we were just sharing stories of revival, and Terry was just stirred again about revival. And Terry said to me, do you remember that prophetic word you had for me? And I said, what prophetic word was that, Terry? You know, trying to be spiritual and remember, oh yes, that one. Uh, I said, no. He said, well, apparently there's about 10 years ago and we were in the UK team and I'd had this word, I do remember it now, I'd had this word of, I saw Terry unusually with a runner's bag. <laughs> and if any of you know Terry, that would be unusual. And I saw in his runner's bag, it was like a relay bag, and in there were lots of relay sticks. I don't know if you call them that, batons you probably call them that. Lots of relay batons. And in them, Terry was like this aged runner, like a, a veteran runner, someone who'd won many races, but had kind of probably finished the main big competitions of his life and was handing on responsibility to other men. This was about 10 years ago, so it was well before spheres or anything. And I saw Terry literally giving out batons, and on the batons were names, were not names of people, but responsibilities. And one of them was Ephesians 4, traveling ministries. One of them was apostolic leaders. Another one was convening large conferences. And it, I saw Terry just giving these things out. I thought, it's a bit cheeky because Terry was very much the leader of New Frontiers, very much the apostle, very much leading our large conferences. And I said to Terry, just see this. You're gonna, this is what's going to happen. You're gonna, and you're delighted. You're so thrilled to be giving these out. You're, it's like, it's wonderful present time. And you look in the bag and there's only one left. And you look around and you think, right, who's this last one for? And you look around, there's no one left to give it out to, and God speaks to you about this last baton. In fact, it's a wooden, old, gnarled baton that's been around for years. In fact, it was the first baton you ever owned. And God says, this is the baton for you for the last phase of your life and ministry. You must run with this baton and this baton only. And written on the baton, guess what? Revival. And Terry was just reminding me of that and saying... That's starting to come true. He said, I'm starting to gather guys in Sussex and we're starting to pray for revival. I'm gathering my old friend Steve Braiding. Do any of you remember Steve's snake eyes braiding? And uh, <laughs> some of you won't know. Some of you will know his son, but in the old days it was no. Steve was the guy who was well known. His sons were, you know, that size. And uh, Steve, this uh, guy, real, real prophet of God, and they've been gathering together to pray again for revival. And uh, we started to share and started to get stirred about this promise. And then later that night, I couldn't sleep. And I'd taken all my normal tablets and pills and potions, all the things I normally do to sleep when I'm on the road. And I could not sleep. And I just felt to turn to some scriptures. And interestingly enough, the scripture that I found was this one, which is a, it's a funny translation. In my Bible, it's translated correctly, of course. Uh, but in other newer versions, they've obviously changed the translation. But it was this one that God spoke to me out of. And it's in sort of the more traditional versions. It says this. This is the... Um, in, don't need to turn to it. It's only one verse. This is in 2 Kings uh, verse 3. The history of it is that these three kings have come together to fight against the enemies of Israel and Judah. They've come together, the three kings, and they have hit a period of drought and there's no war. Water for their armies, there's no water for their uh, cattle, their supplies that are with them. And actually, they call upon, Is there a man of God here? And basically, someone manages to find Elisha. They say, Elisha, he was the servant of Elijah. That's the only kind of 
qualification he has. Come on, Elisha. Come on. He says, now bring me a, bring me a minstrel. He didn't need a chocolate. He said, bring me a minstrel. He's, he's one, he, and there's something about this guy as he plays prophetically and Elisha starts to prophesy. And this, what he, this is what he says. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha and he said, this is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches. For this is what the Lord says, you will neither see the wind or the rain, yet this valley will be filled with water and your, you and your cattle and your animals will drink. And I feel God is saying to us that we need to prepare for revival. We need to prepare for a new move of his spirit. We need to be prepared and to prepare ourselves. We need to do what we can do so that God does what only he can do. And that's what I feel he's stirring us. Interestingly enough, I'll tell this story this this afternoon in the news update, but shock press, I think it's the worst kept secret in Christ Central Churches, Anne and I are on the move to Sheffield. I think you all know that. So like, everyone come up to us, can we ask you, is it official? Do you know? Do I know? Yes. But is, do, does everybody know? <laughs> Because the prophets have known for years. I had this weird conversation with Dan Maiton, who leads the team in Sheffield. I said, does Ginny know? He said, not officially. (laughs) He says, she'll know. (laughs) And she did, which is wonderful. And one of the joys, actually, of of being in Sheffield is working and will be working more closely with Ginny. And in fact, I'm going to ask Ginny, she doesn't know this, but I'm going to ask Ginny at the end of this to come and share what you shared with me last night, which I feel is very relevant uh, to this. So first meeting I go to in Sheffield, and the new, first time, first meeting I'm there, Dan stands up, and first of all says, oh, welcome some new people, Jeremy and Anne. He says, but tonight we're going to pray for revival. He says, I've just been with the Yorkshire leaders. I've just heard Mike Sprenger uh, talking on revival on this paper. And if you haven't had this paper, that's, we sent it to you electronically, but that's the hard copy of it. And it, Dan said, I'm just freshly stirred about it. And we had the most glorious prayer meeting, praying for revival. And I feel, yeah, God, this is what you're speaking to us about. This is what you're speaking to me about. And since then, I've just given myself these last six weeks, just to read, to watch, to watch videos, listen to reports, read books, read some old books I'd read before on revival, and just feel so freshly stirred by it. Now, just give you an apostle's health warning, government health warning, right from the start, just to beware of a few things. Firstly, we've got to beware of hyping things up. I've all been in situations where people have hyped things up. I don't feel hyped up at all. I feel stirred by the Spirit. And I wasn't expecting this. When I met with the guys in January, I didn't feel any more spiritual than I'd felt in December. In fact, you know, I felt probably slightly less spiritual after Christmas. And it wasn't that we were trying to hype one another. God has started to speak and we must start to respond. We must also beware like a fascination with the past. I often find that with revival thinking. It's always looking backwards to what God has done in the past. And there's an overemphasis on certain styles, certain manifestations, certain things that happen, certain ways that things broke out. And we can be in danger if we're not careful of trying to replicate the past, trying to do it as it was before. And we're not looking for that. We're not looking for something old. We're actually looking for something new. In fact, one of the verses that kept coming up for me, almost every meeting I was in in the autumn, uh, September, October, November, December, almost every meeting I was in, this verse kept being mentioned by people. And it's Isaiah 43. Well, let me give... There was a verse before it in Isaiah 42, but it's Isaiah 43, verse 19, that's the one that kept coming up. Isaiah 42, verse 9, is see the former things have taken place. You know, look at them, see them. But there's new things I declare. Before they spring up into being, I announce them to you. So we shouldn't be surprised that God starts to say, I'm going to do something new. Then it goes on in Isaiah 43. And this is the one that was quoted in almost every meeting I was at. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? In other words, can you not see it? I feel what God wants to give us this weekend is prophetic Eyes opening, revelation by the Spirit from His Word to see what He's doing. Eyes wide open this weekend. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now, it will be a new thing because God always does new things. And by very definition, it won't look like the past. However, it is not of new substance. 
Okay, it's so important we understand that. This is the same Holy Spirit. This is the same presence of God. This is the same working of God. It will have a new and more powerful expression, but it will be the same. We're not looking for someone new. We're looking for some new expression of him, and it will be new for us, but actually it's the same. Now, it's so important we understand that. Otherwise, we get chasing after something new. Now, from biblical history, right from Genesis to Revelation, if you've been listening to lots of the things we've been saying at North and then Devoted, we've been trying to give big picture stuff of, of God's presence being poured out from Eden right through to the new city in the new Jerusalem. We've been talking about the temple from Eden right the way through to uh, the new Jerusalem. We've been talking about his glory manifested in the beginning and being manifested at the end. Then the last one we were talking about the river of God that came from Eden and then flows right through to the city. We've been giving you this big picture theology so that we raise our game, we raise our eyes to the biblical promises of God, that we see that God has a plan to flood the whole earth with his glory. So this is just more of the same. This is just more in that line of history. And yet, when there are times of lack, and I think we've got to be honest, if we look at biblical history and even historical history, (laughs) our history, that actually we're in a time of lack right now. We're in a time of lack. We're in a time of drought. We're in a time like the three kings where we need the rain to be poured out, where we haven't got enough supplies to feed ourselves, let alone our cattle, and actually we need the rain. We need more of God. We need God to break in. And it is at those times that it's appropriate for the people of God to call out to God for what the Bible calls revival or revive. In fact, the word revival isn't in the Bible, but the word revive is. It means to breathe new life into. To, it's the same word of the, the, the that ruach, that spirit of God breathing life into something. So you get it in Psalm 85 verse 6. Will you not revive us again that your people might rejoice in you? Habakkuk 3.2. Have I not heard, Lord, of your fame? I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. Now, have we got the right to ask that? Have we got the right to say, in our day? I came across this quote. I've never come across this one before. I came across this quote by Spurgeon, and he quotes on that verse. He says this, When people hear about what God has done in the past, one of the things they say is, Oh, but that was a very long time ago. And then he goes on to say, but I thought it was God that did it. Has God changed? Is he not an immutable God? In brackets, he doesn't change. Does that not furnish the argument to prove that what God has done at one time, he can do it again? In fact, I think I might push it a little further. Spurgeon, not me. And say that whilst he has say that what he has done once is a prophecy of what he intends to do again. Isn't that interesting? Spurgeon talking about that. In fact, actually, you know, there are numerous revivals happening on planet Earth right now. I mean, we're crazy because we only look through the lens of our Western world. We had the privilege, some of us, of being at uh, the New Frontiers Apostles Gathering called Global 2016 in Turkey last year. And we met some of the underground pastors of China. They were just humble, beautiful, remarkable people. In fact, when they found out I was from Manchester, all they wanted to do is talk about Manchester United. And, you know, it was just fascinating. I want to talk about, you know, uh, <laughs> but they were so humble. They were so, they were so, oh, you come from Manchester. Oh, wonderful Manchester. It's great. We had this wonderful chat together. But they said, we asked them about the revival. And that, to their estimate, and this is probably a low estimate, that in their experience, they're seeing 10,000 people a day saved. A day in China. If you work that out, because I've got a calculator, it's over three and a half million a year being saved, being swept into the kingdom. This is in the underground church. It's remarkable what's happening in China. 
And we've had our experience, haven't we? Some of us have lived long enough in this room to remember 20 years ago, 25 years ago, in 1994, when God did something remarkable, 94, 95. And sometimes we we talk a bit disparagingly about that. I don't want to do that. I want to honor what God did in those days. It was a wonderful foretaste. It was like a beautiful appetizer. It was like a beautiful snack of, of something more to come. Now, we didn't get the more to come in that sense, but something did happen. And sometimes you look back and you think, actually, no, God, you did something remarkable. I mean, in the two churches that I was leading or being part of leadership teams, one in Eastbourne and then one in Teesside, during that season, I can remember in Eastbourne, I think I told you this at Devoted, but it's worth saying again, because it, it's so important you understand there was fruit from that move of the Spirit. It wasn't just, you know, somebody wrote a book. During that time, said, don't, don't, just, don't just stand there, pray. And we said it should have been called, don't just stand there, fall over. Because yeah. you know? so, that, was, that was the answer to everything, wasn't it? Falling over. And it wasn't actually. There was some real fruit that happened during that time. I don't want to dis- I'm, I'm going to say some critical things in a moment about that time. But I don't want to dishonor it, actually, because it was a wonderful blessing of God. And actually, in our church in Eastbourne, we'd had Lex Lozides, one of the greatest evangelists in New Frontiers, for two years living with the church plant. And over those... Uh, He'd lived there for two years. The church plant had been going for four years. Over those four years, we had seen four people get saved. We thought revival had come. We thought that was amazing. Four people had got saved. We hadn't had that before. Four people got saved, clearly baptized. I hadn't joined the church. And I, I came over and joined the church at that point. And it was like, wow, we have, you know, we've had four people saved. Then this Toronto thing hit. In the next four years, we counted saved baptized in water, filled with the Spirit, added into the life of the church, over a hundred people. And then it happened again in Teesside. Over the next four years, we saw a hundred people saved, added, joined the church. God did something. So it's in our history. It's in our genes. It's within us. It's not talking about something that happened years ago. Something is with us. But I want to say, I don't want to appeal back to Toronto I'm not even appealing back to the Hebridean revival, which was the the classic last revival that happened on British soil. I don't want to appeal back to the revivals of the early 1900s in Wales or uh, that happened internationally. I don't want to appeal back to the Spurgeon 1859 revivals of Ulster and the year. I don't want to appeal back to any of those, the Methodist, the Wesleyan. I don't even want to appeal back to Booth. I want to appeal back to the New Testament. I want to say this is that that happened in the New Testament. And what happened, what God has done in the early church is a pattern for us. When God said, when Jesus said, wait for the Spirit, and they waited, I mean, just, just for a moment, think what happened. Acts 1.14, it says they were all joined together constantly in prayer. They were together in prayer, waiting for the promise. There was anticipation. Jesus had said, I'm going to go, but I'm going to leave. I'm going to send one just like me. They had no idea what that was going to be like. We know what the Holy, who the Holy Spirit is and what he's like. They had no idea, really. Because he he's, he's been with you, but he's going to be in you. And then suddenly from heaven. So, and it's this amazing sense of, and I want to underline this today, sovereignty and man's responsibility. They were together in one room. Somebody had to make some decisions about that. Somebody had to lead into that. Somebody had to organize that. Somebody had to sort that out. They were together in one room. There was some human responsibility. There was some digging of ditches. There was some doing of stuff in terms of organization. They were all together in one place. But then suddenly from heaven, God did something. God poured out his spirit. And there's this sovereign move. We position ourselves as only we can, but then God moves as only he can. And that's so important that we understand that. And then there was this fresh filling of the spirit powerful signs accompanying it, both personal and corporate. And we kind of get, is it personal? Is it corporate? Yes. <laughs> you know, there was tongues of fire that separated and came on each one personally. There was a wind that blew through the whole thing. They were individually filled, yet they were corporately filled. There was this sense of a body of people being filled. And then there was a natural overflow of this to the streets. There was a natural overflow of this. I don't think they had a strategic bone in their body. I don't think they thought, oh, let's now let, let's strategize. How can we get this out onto the streets? I think there was such a... I mean, there was strategy. The strategy is let's meet to pray. 
Let's meet. Let's do what Jesus said. Let's meet. But then suddenly the Spirit comes on them, and suddenly they are propelled out into life. They're propelled out onto the streets. And supernatural stuff is happening. They're speaking in other tongues. And wasn't it just wonderful this morning when tongues come and we get beautiful interpretation? It's just glorious. I've also seen it where we've had languages come. And they've been languages that have been understood by people in the meeting. We had an amazing one at Teesside that you guys here will remember. The, uh, Sarushan Marvesh will remember this. It was just incredible. Our Paul Catterall, who was one of the people, Paul and Jill and their whole family were part of that hundred that got saved in that first move at Teesside. And when um, Paul and Jill felt this amazing heart for asylum seeker refugees, and they worked extensively, as you guys know, with uh, Iranian community, with the those from North Africa, from Eritrea, Ethiopia, that kind of area. And uh, we probably saw about 100 uh, refugees and asylum seekers attending Jubilee at various times. Uh, 100 was probably the height of the number we had. And at one meeting, Paul Catterall got up and he spoke a language that he had not learnt or studied. There was a commotion going on amongst people from Eritrea. And later we found out that Paul Catterall had spoken in an amazing old language. In fact, there are two languages in Eritrea, Amharic and Tigrinian. And both of them have a root language, a little bit like we have Latin. You know, English and Italian, root, root of Latin. You know, it's, like, it's there. And Amharic Tigrinian has a root of ancient Gies. And ancient Gies is only now ever used for official things religious services. It's a little bit like Latin. <laughs> and Paul spoke in fluent ancient geese. And it was a lament about what do you do in times of trouble? Was that relevant to our refugee asylum seekers? You bet your bottom dollar it was. Did it stir faith? Did, well, yes, it did. These things happen today. And there was miraculous things happening. So much so that people were bewildered, amazed and perplexed. They should be. It's not very seeker sensitive, is it? They should be bewildered, amazed, and perplexed. But there then should be explanation, which I think is the secret to unlock gifts of the Spirit, publicly, by the way. If you look into 1 Corinthians 14, it's always about explanation. And this is perfect textbook stuff, because Peter explains it. This is that. Now, they knew the that, because in that context, this was about restoring something to Israel. This was about the lost people of Israel. These were people from Israel of all over, the different nations coming to Jerusalem to worship at Pentecost. So he didn't have to explain too much back history because he said they knew the prophecy of Joel. This is that. This is Joel. Oh, Joel, we know Joel. Well, this is that. And he explained it. He gave a big picture theology. He gave a big picture biblical theology. Can Martin Charlesworth say amen? <laughs> Martin has been so powerful and helpful in our school of leadership in teaching us that everything we do is big picture theology, is biblical theology, biblical sweeps, great big sweeps, seeing the massive arc of what God is doing. And it's changed a lot of the way some of us preach and prepare and think about things. He then, there then was an explanation that was very Christ-central. It was all about Jesus. It was all about him. It was all about Jesus. It was all about his death. It was all about his resurrection. It was all about his ascension. It was all about who he is and his ruling power and his authority that Jesus is Lord and Christ. And he explained it so brilliantly, so much so they were cut to the heart. There was conviction of sin. What must we do? Results in genuine conversion, repentance, baptism in water, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it said, and then 3,000 were added. And they were added into something. They were built into something. That's what I'm talking about. That, I don't care what label you want to put on that. If you want to call it revival, I'm happy with that. If you want to call it a Jerusalem blessing. I'm happy with that. I don't really care what you want to call it. This is that. That's what we're looking for. That's biblical. And do you know what? People say, oh, that was Acts 2. Only happened once. No, it didn't. You look into Acts 4, it happens exactly again. 
Exactly again. Now, it wasn't a first filling, as it were. It was a, it was a subsequent ongoing filling. But in Acts chapter 4, they were together in one place after some persecution. And they were praying with one accord. It almost mirrors it exactly. Together, one place, praying, one accord. Suddenly the Spirit fills them again. Room shaking, signs and wonders, things in the natural and the supernatural happening. And it said they were filled with boldness and went out and preached even more. And then it goes on to say, and then there were 5,000. It's like there's growth. And so this is what we're appealing to, guys. So don't think we're getting weird. He's talking about revival. He's getting a bit old. He's getting a bit weird. He's getting a bit Toronto. He's getting a bit, you know, Hebridean. And, you know, he's getting, he's getting a bit. No, we're getting a bit New Testament. We're getting a bit back to the root. I love what uh, Colin Whitaker, I, I, I love Colin Whitaker's book on, it's such a simple book. I like simple books sometimes. I read some pretty heavy theological books. Well, Alan Rose probably doesn't think they're heavy, but uh, they're... <laughs> I say to Alan, have you, you know that thing you're talking about? Have you got a, a light book that explains it? He recommends it. I read it. I think, thank God I didn't ask for the heavy book. <laughs> I do read them, Alan, when you recommend them. <clears throat> Colin Whitaker, such a simple book on revivals. In his summary, he says this, The essence of revival is that the Holy Spirit is testifying to the reality of Jesus. This is Christ-centered, right? Through Jesus being afforded his... So, so Jesus being afforded his rightful place of Lord and Christ in the local church. Then the benefits of his kingdom and rule are in turn fully demonstrated to all the inhabitants throughout that locality. So that none are allowed to escape the eternal question, will you have this man to reign over you? That's revival. That's New Testament experience of Christianity. And we've so watered, we've so got something that's watered down in terms of our experience that we need to get back and ask God, will you do it again? Could we come back, Lord, and see this happen again? Now, I just want to bring three things to you. Three things, all beginning with P. All right? It, it just happened that way. Just <clears throat> As I read this week, as I read this week, <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, it's, it's not a great personal example, actually. But as I read this week, instead of Aaron, he said, uh, we just put some gold in the fire, and this calf came out. <laughs> it's hilarious, isn't it? I just, who's doing Bible in one year? I mean, that's what it is. He said, and it just came out. It's like, oh, we threw it in the fire. No, you didn't. You lie. You fashioned it. Yeah. I fashioned it. Um, <laughs> three, no, so, in fact, there are actually six Ps, if you count very carefully. It's number one, prophetic promises. Yeah. Okay, prophetic promises. Okay, this is not to do with our performance, but his promises. Okay, we must get this, like I said before, the big picture theology. Numbers 14, 21. As surely as I live, all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as waters cover the sea. Isaiah 2, verse 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the chief among mountains. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the people's but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears on you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And uh, Roger gave us such a helpful illustration uh, of a train as we were praying about this as, uh, in a court team. He said, it's like this train started right back in the Garden of Eden, the glory of God, the temple, the presence. The re- it's like this train started. And we know the destination. We know it's going to end up in a glorious new heavens, new earth, when all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And you know what? We got on the train at some point. And Yeah, it doesn't really matter when you got on the train as long as you're on the train. Now, we as a movement got on this train probably before many of you were born. In fact, before I was born. As a movement, we're kind of rooted back into some prophetic guys that gathered in the 1950s and 60s to pray for revival, led by a guy called Arthur Wallace. And at that point, this group of churches got on the train. 
we kind of got caught up in something, and Arthur saw something. They started to study end times. They started to see that God wanted to move across the whole earth with his glory and wanted to see something of glorious end time revival. We got to, it doesn't really matter when you got on the train. Various ones of us in this room got on the train at different times. Get on the train. Let's make sure we're on this glorious train that is, that is going to something. Prophetic promises. So we've got, we're in the line of this. Now, promise that, I think Dave referred to this in, in uh, January. I think Ginny has referred to it more recently. I think Graham brought it to my attention again. How many of you know the Smith Wigglesworth prophecy? That's about 20, 30 or 40 of us know that. Well, this was given almost exactly 70 years ago. Now, I don't want to read too much into that, but 70 is a significant number. I leave that hanging in the air, those of you who know your <laughs> biblical prophetic history. And this is so interesting. When I first heard this, I was offended by it, by the way. Very offended by it, and you'll see why. During the next few decades, there will be two distinct moves of the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is it. He gave this in 1947, Smith Wigglesworth from the Northeast. There'll be, there'll be two distinct moves of the Holy Spirit across the church in Great Britain. The first will affect almost every church that is open to receive it and will be characterized by a restoration of the baptism and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of like the charismatic renewal. I could say I'm into that. The second move of the Holy Spirit will result in people leaving historic churches and planting new churches. I could definitely say I'm into that. In the duration of these moves, the people who are involved will say, this is the great revival. I could say I'm into that. But the Lord says no. I thought, cheeky monkey. (laughs) Neither is this the great revival, but both are steps towards it. When the new church phase is on the wane, what do you mean on the wane? We're on the up. Now actually, across the nation, new churches are probably on the wane. We just need to be aware of that. The charismatic house church movement is probably on the wane across the nation. There will be evidenced in the churches something that has not been seen before. A coming together of those who have an emphasis on the word and those with an emphasis on the spirit. When the word and the spirit come together, there will be the biggest movement of the Holy Spirit that this nation and indeed the world has ever seen. It will mark the beginning of a revival that will eclipse anything that's ever been witnessed within these shores, even the Wesleyan and Welsh revivals of former years. The outpourings of God's spirit will flow from the UK to mainland Europe and from there there will be a missionary move to the ends of the earth. Dear friends, that's what God's doing. Word and spirit not joined together as some Easter egg. You know, it looks a whole, but the moment you take the silver foil off, it's two halves. But a fusion of word and spirit. In fact, you cannot have the word without the spirit because the word was spirit-breathed. The word is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot have the spirit without the word. Jesus sends the spirit. In fact, Jesus is the Word, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit, and they are in beautiful, inseparable, Trinitarian unity with the Father. It's an anathema to say that they are two distinct, separate things. They are, it's a lie. We're Word Spirit. It's an apostolic fusion, and we must believe God for these prophetic promises. Secondly, prevailing prayer. Clever, eh? <laughs> prophetic promises. It just came out of the fire. prevailing prayer. History will tell us that at every time that God has moved, there were people praying for it. That God had previously mobilized troops to pray. It's still God doing it, because God mobilizes the troops to pray. But every time I've got lists here, I won't give you all the lists. I'll just give you a biblical one. 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, we should know this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. It's biblical. I could go through every revival. I had loads listed. I won't. Read it. It's all in Mike's paper. Read it. Bless you. What does this mean? Humility. Humble. It's kind of, oh Lord, really, really would like you to. You know, we're, we're really not worthy. But... But, you know, if you, could, if you could sort of 
Can I have your attention, God? Could you kind of look away from there? And could you? You know, that's humble praying, isn't it? Rubbish. That's not humble praying at all. Humility is knowing who you are before God. We are not beggars before God. Somebody once said, it was Arthur Wallace in his book, he once heard somebody say, I'm going to fast until God listens. And he said, that's not a fast, it's a hunger strike. <laughs> it, it's, that's stupid. God's listening. He, and we, the position, we don't come as beggars. We don't come just to petition a judge who wasn't interested. We come as sons before a father. We come before one who has promised and wants us to stand in the promises and wants us to pray believing prayers, believing that what our father said he has done and will do, he will do. I have a friend called Marcus Honeyset. Some of you will know Marcus. Leads a great training uh, group. And uh, Mar- I was with, Marcus was in, in the group with Terry, actually, this uh, January. And he was telling me he's just adopted. He and his wife have just, a little bit like Anne and I, weren't able to have kids. They've gone down the adoption route. And they've just adopted a beautiful little boy, three, I think two, two years, three years old. And uh, he said, I, I found myself telling him the other night, he said, Daddy's going to give you this, this. I think it was a, he's, I think he supports Portsmouth or something, but you know, indoctrination happens very young, I gather. But he said, you know, you know, he's oh, daddy's going to buy you this <clears throat> amazing football strip. He's going to take you down there. Now, why don't you ask daddy for it? And then he thought, whoa, what a wonderful example of prayer. Yeah. Daddy's promised you this. Dad's going to give you this. Now, why don't you ask for it? Well, I want you to, I want, I'd like you to ask for it. I'd like you to learn to ask. I'd like you to learn to position. I'd like you to learn to come and say, Father, in the light of what you said, please give me what you're pleased to give me. Please give me what you promised me. This is what Lloyd-Jones says. I've quoted this a couple of devotees ago. He says this about revival. In revival, men who've been used by God down through the centuries, you'll find a holy boldness, an argumentation, a reasoning, a putting the case to God, a pleading his own promises. In fact, sometimes I think this is the whole secret of prayer. Don't leave him alone. Pester him with his promises. Tell him that what he has said, he is going to do. Quote scripture to him. God delights to hear us doing that. Our Father loves to hear us pleading his own promises, quoting his own words and saying, in the light of this, O God, how can you refrain from blessing? That's prayer. That's prevailing prayer. That's the sense of getting hold of God. That's the sense that we've got to do. Alan Redpath says this, real prayer is rooted in the promises of God. We have the reasons given to us by God in his word why he should answer us. Find them, dear friends find them, get hold of them, and pray them back to God. 1 John five fourteen. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, in other words, what he's willed, what he's promised, anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we've asked of him. It's, what's his will? Find out. It's so clear in scripture, we need to get hold of these. Now, just to say, before I get on to the last point, sort of advert in the middle, a couple of things I'd like to encourage you to do in terms of prayer. Firstly, we're going to call together, as we've done every kind of twice a year for the last few years, Christ Central Days of Prayer in May, May the 10th and 11th. We're going to rename them, not because names mean anything particularly, although I think they do, but because it's just giving us a priority. We're going to, rather than call them days of prayer, we're going to call them prayer for revival. Because we want to concentrate on praying for God to move in our nation. We just feel at this season, we need to align ourselves with it. Now, you know, in the past, we've prayed for lots of things, nations and going and all that. The great may well do that. In fact, Smith Wigglesworth implies that when God moves, the nations will be reverberated. But we want to see God move. So we want to, I want to encourage you, as many of you as possible, and as many of your teams and leadership people, get them to those days. Who knows? I mean, where's Harold Wilm, Wilmsers? You know, who, who knows? Today might be the day, Harold. Who knows? Today might be the day. Could be the. I was with been teaming Harold for years. Every meeting I think I've ever been in with Harold, if you know, he'll come in and he'll say he'll grip me by the arm. He says, "You never know. Today might be the day," because he he's like a simian. He's carrying something 
for revival. He's carrying something to believe that, you know, it might be today. And it's a wonderful faith, isn't it? Now, we get on, we still dig our ditches, we're still doing our stuff, but do you know what? Today might be the day. Today might be the day. I also want to encourage you to come to our New Frontiers. Oh, New Frontiers, still alive. New Frontiers Day of Prayer for the Nation on the 5th of July. It's a bit more challenging to get to, but do you know what? I, people didn't have any trouble getting to Toronto when there was a blessing. <laughs> no, no trouble at all. Cost, time, people flooded to it. When God moves, people don't have any trouble getting to it. This is in Westminster Chapel, which is an interesting setting, and it'll be a day hosted by the apostolic teams from the UK praying for the UK. I think we're hearing the same thing together. But how about your prayer meeting? How about your prayer life? I was so impressed and so encouraged as we went to Sheffield. How about for you? Third and final point. Anyone guess what the P is? You won't. So prophetic promises, prevailing prayer, prevailing prayer, persistent partnerships. <laughs> I'm now stretching it a bit. <laughs> this, God's been speaking to us a lot in New Frontiers and Christ about partnerships. We're partnering with people like Joseph Mawila and Lily. We're partnering with Lee and Stacey in Mexico. We're partnering with Joe Crummy and Cal. We're partnering with lots of people. We're partnering, actually partnering with Andy and his team. There's partnerships that are happening together. It's such a biblical thing. This is not an individual, me on my own. I'm going to pray until God does it. The, the, you know, the, I'm going to pray until God changes his mind. That's not what it is. It's, uh, there's partnerships together that are acting as sons and saying, Lord, will you not act as what you've said? And I want to encourage you to look for partnerships. Maybe individual prayer partners. Maybe partners in your church. Maybe your church prayer meeting, maybe looking to partner with others. There's going to be partnerships in this. We're going to partner together and it's not all about us. And you know, when God moves, it might not even be through us, but he might move according to our prayers. It might be through another church group. In fact, it probably will be. Hallelujah. I mean, seriously, if you can't say hallelujah to that, then there's something wrong with your praying. Because we want God to move, not just to bless our movement. It's so important. It's so vital that we get that. Otherwise, it's just all about us. It's all about, you know, we're really the better ones. And, of course, when God moves, he'll really, you know, we know he'll really favour us, you know. We have Terry Virgo, don't you know? And, uh, you know, no, we want God to move. And wherever he moves, we'll get in there. We'll get stuck in. Um, Partnerships. Now, and most importantly, we partner with God. This is actually a partnership with him. He wants us to learn to partner with him. Arthur Wallace says this, every revival is certainly a sovereign act of God, but this is not to say that it's exercised without spiritual response of his people. And this is the digging the ditches. We've got to dig some ditches. And I think what happened in 94 is we dug ditches inwardly, but not outwardly. Right? We, we, we dug some ditches inwardly. We had some great meetings, great prayer meetings. We had some great fun sessions. But we weren't great, at, generally across the board, at digging it out to the neighbourhoods. About going into the poor and the needy. About expressing it to our neighbours. About living this life. We would pray for one another, but wouldn't pray for neighbours. We'd enjoy the presence of God, but wouldn't take it to work with us. And we kind of kept it in. So we've got to learn from that. That's Thank God he's given us that to learn from. Let's not do that again. This is what Yonggi Cho, Yonggi Chong, Yonggi Cho said. Yonggi Cho says, Prepare, preparation for revival is like building a dam. It's just the same analogy, he's talking about a dam, ahead of the rain. Even though we really desire a downpour to be quenched by the drought, to quench the drought, if we don't build a dam, we'll not keep the rain. If God showers down revival and churches are not ready to accept it, then all the blessing of the revival will be wasted. It's the hour for Great Britain, he says, to train Christians to be ready to receive this revival. Dear friends, what is your ditch? Where have you got to dig? Now, I think Andy's going to feed into some of this as he talks, because there's going to be personal things, there's going to be heart issues, there's going to be holiness issues, there's going to be righteousness issues, there's going to be relational issues, there's going to be neighborhood issues, there's going to be time issues, because some of us are too busy in meetings to meet and have friends with neighbours. There's going to be uh, community issues. There's going to be working with the poor issues. There's going to be all sorts of things. There's going to be issues at work, issues of time, issues of... There's all sorts of things that God's going to say, now dig a ditch, dig a ditch, dig a ditch. You do what you do. You do what only you can do. And God will do what only God can do. Right? It's so important we understand. Now, last thing to say this, and I'll finish. Then I'd like Ginny to come if possible. 
ultimately, we can get so fascinated and so anticipatory about a revival and about what might happen and about all the fun of the fair and about all the good things that will happen that we can miss Jesus in it. And I just want to say, I thought Joss led us so well to Christ this morning. And if a revival, if a move of God does not lead us to Jesus, then it is not a move of God. This is what, end with Lloyd-Jones. Revival is a glorification of the Lord Jesus. It's a restoration of him to the centre of the life of the church. Read the accounts of all the revivals that have ever been known and you'll find invariably that the very centre of the life of the church at that time had been the Lord Jesus Christ himself. If the Lord Jesus Christ is not crucial and vital and occupying the very centre of our meditation and our living and our thinking and our praying, then we have no right to look for revival at all. It's all about Jesus, dear friends. Now, Ginny, why don't you just come and share this prophetic thing and we'll take a coffee break. And uh, there's going to be plenty of time to pray and experience God here. But we just wanted to set the scene, I think, for all that's going to happen later. Let's welcome Ginny. Jeremy asked me to share something that I've shared before, but I'm also going to share something I've not said a lot about before because I really feel (laughs) I have been stirred about the whole thing for revival. It's actually been something I've been carrying my whole Christian life. So if Harold's a Simeon, I'm a Nana. Um, When I became a Christian, um, I became a Christian at the backdrop of um, time before... Um, certainly in the north of England, the what's known as charismatic movement had actually happened. So it was not a good thing to want to be baptised in the spirit. <laughs> it was something that's not for today. It was something of the devil and you avoided it like the plague. <laughs> but not many weeks after becoming a Christian, I hit crisis point because everybody was telling me this is not for today. But some bits are for today, like you get baptised in water, that is for today. Uh, so I had quite a crisis point, and I got down on my knees and kind of, in my ignorance and naivety, gave God an ultimatum that he had to tell me that baptism of the Spirit was for today, and he had to do it, or else I was walking away from the lot. <laughs> um, actually, that didn't happen at that point in time. What did happen was God gave me a whole series of visions that have been what has kind of focused everything since then, all about what he was going to do in the UK and this move of God that we're calling revival, which I've kind of lived to want to see and be a part of um, since then. And the the thing that I've shared before um, was that the the main vision um, was of seeing an aerial picture, as it were, of the UK as if I'm high up in the cosmos somewhere, and um, seeing tiny pinpricks of light across the map, uh, but then sort of coming in a bit closer and seeing that these were fires across the map, and then the kind of ambient light uh, around is kind of dimming, and the fires seem brighter, and then as the dimming of the ambient light uh, carried on, the light from the fires grew brighter and brighter and they seemed to kind of spread out a bit but then all of a sudden there was just like a whoosh and the fires went right across the map up down and across all all areas of the UK and um, in asking God what this meant and if it was even from him I mean I'd had this whole thing about uh, being a prophet but I didn't know what that meant I, I was just totally ignorant really so what's this what's all this about but it felt like the same voice so I said well is this you God then he gave me more uh, pictures about the process in which that would begin to happen Um, but he said to me I'll give you two signs I'll give you two signs in the natural and the first sign will be to confirm that this came from me And the second sign will be to say the beginning of this process is imminent. So the first sign, I thought, wow. And this was the end of 1972. So I kind of thought, wow. So I'm looking for the sign the following day and the following week and the following month and the following year. And it wasn't until 1977, five years later, that... 
I just happened to put the TV on for the evening news and it was the middle of the celebrations for um, the Queen's Silver Jubilee. And um, there was this guy handing over some kind of thing to the Queen and the Queen lit this beacon. And then it showed you in a helicopter up and down the land over that evening um, all the beacons and it was just an amazing sight to see on the TV almost what I'd seen in my own spirit and uh, it kind of gave me that whoa I've seen the first sign this is God and so then I thought well the second sign um, so I thought well be careful that took five years <laughs> Um, so I kept going and waiting for this second sign. And, you know, when you kind of got something like that on the back burner, you get to the point where you're not particularly looking for it anymore, but you know you're still waiting. It wasn't until 1995, 18 years later, that I happened uh, again to put the um, late night news on this time. And I'm seeing exactly the same thing um, up in a helicopter, showing you the whole of the UK, up and down, where they put beacons. And they lit them this time for the um, 50th anniversary of VE Day. And it showed you the process where uh, Bruno Peak, the guy who passes whatever it is to the Queen, and the Queen uses that to light the first beacon. And that was in 95, um, and then in 97, uh, Diana died. And um, having kind of spoken into that, by the way, not in two parts, but in one part, <laughs> um, I kind of was inundated with all sorts. And um, having tried to kind of say, this is not that, but this is an indicator of how fast God can move. You know, the whoosh. God can move fast. You look at how fast the entire nation came to a halt, but, but with a spirit of grief. God can move as fast as that with a different spirit, his spirit. Um, but anyway, by 99, I'm still kind of suffering a lot of backlash because of this. And my church, bless them, are very protective of me and trying to kind of make sure weirdos don't get to me and all manner of things. Um, and uh, getting back to the story, <laughs> in 1999, I was, I was really kind of quite despondent and I was thinking about this whole thing of everything that had held me together over all this time and part of the thing that I'd brought about that time when Diana died had come out from everything I'd seen about the process that God was telling me one of the visions was about in the time of the rise of celebrity status God would start to move and then in the time of the wane of celebrity status and I think we've got to that in the nation and um, anyway aside I was feeling really despondent and I was saying God on Saturday night I was saying God I really want some encouragement is it okay to ask you for encouragement I really need this and I went to the meeting the next day expecting that maybe in the praise and worship time I'd hear some prophetic word or during the sermon I would hear something that would really encourage me. But halfway through the worship time I was called out by um, someone who said there's a man outside asking for you. And so um, I thought oh no. <laughs> I went outside with one of my bodyguards from the church and um, and there's a man there who I've never seen before. And um, he said, uh, God's sent me to... He asked me if I was Ginny, and I said, yeah. And he said, God has sent me to speak to you and to tell you one thing. But he told me you wouldn't listen to me uh, until I told you some other things first. Uh, three things, he said. So I thought, oh, all right, here we go. So, <laughs> so he told me the first thing and how he was from... Salisbury and he was working in Leeds and God had told him to come and find me on his way home and he had no idea where I was, which church I was in or anything, didn't know Sheffield very well but God told him to pull off at this junction and take this road and that road and go up that hill and lo and behold he was there. So because I was very guarded and shut down I was like 
not really. That didn't impress me. Um, and then he told me the. He, he then told me the second thing, which I honestly can't remember what it was. Um, and then this person who was my bodyguard was trying to decide whether to go back into the meeting. I said, "You'll go back into the meeting. I'll not be long." I just thought I need to get rid of this guy. And then he said, "Well, God told me you wouldn't listen to me until I told you the third thing." And he said, uh, "The third thing I need to tell you is what my job is currently." So, okay. And then he said, he said, I have been in the army. I was Prince Philip's equerry. He said, but currently my job is on the Millennium Beacon Committee. <laughs> and I work with Bruno Peake, and I'm going to be lighting the beacons for the Millennium. Um, I listened. <laughs> <laughs> he was right. Um, and at that point, he then said... So now I can tell you what God told me to tell you. All that he showed you many, many years ago will happen. And if that wasn't encouragement to keep going. <laughs> but that time wasn't the time. It was a picture of what God can do. And he sort of talked to me. This is a bit I haven't shared much about before. He talked to me about a time when uh, the celebrity status would start to wane and people would start to be um, very cynical. And the celebrity status, by the way, has infected the church. And um, we need to get rid of it out of the church as well, but we're always behind the nation. It's waning in the nation and it's interesting how many big names have passed away in this last year or so. And it's because this season has begun. And he said, in that season, there'll be a call to pray. <laughs> and there'll be many, many, there'll be a rise of many corporate gatherings to pray for the UK. And those gatherings will start out of a sense of thirst because it's time to pray for the latter rain. It's a time to pray for the latter rain. The gatherings will start out of that sense of God saying, Is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. And there'll be a thirst to drink and a thirst for all that God has. And there'll be a thirst to see him at work in the nation. But those gatherings will begin out of the fervor and the zeal to see him work. But the fervour will pass. Because as the fervour begins the realisation that we cannot do this, it will kill the celebrity status in the church. And finally, as those gatherings press in and keep praying for God to be at work in the nation, as those gatherings persevere, prevail, as Jeremy said, it will change. There'll be a distinct change. And that change will bring about a twofold realization. One, that we as the people of God can do nothing and have nothing that will change our nation. But the other side of that realization is that God has everything and can do anything. And we will begin to experience his manifold presence in and out at first, in and out at first. It'll be like when you've seen, well, when you've smelled somebody's perfume as they've gone past. You remember that fragrance and you know who it was because you know the fragrance. It'll be like all of a sudden we know there's been a presence amongst us and it's because we've experienced the fragrance of Christ. And more and more and more, those gatherings will experience the fragrance of Christ until something breaks out upon that. And the thing that breaks out, the thing that will characterize the thing that God does up and down the nation will be the sudden realization corporately that this is not about the UK. This is about being a citizen of a heavenly country. And that actually we go to the nations. 
that will come forth out of this. And I, therefore, am very excited by um, the resurgence of interest in uh, Wigglesworth prophecy because he said something similar about going to the nations. And I'm very excited about the sense of prayer that's rising because I feel this is the beginning of the gatherings, the beginning of something changing amongst us as a church, that God changes us, that we become who we're meant to be and affect the nations. And yeah, I'm not into numerology, but what did Daniel do when he realized that the people have been in captivity for 70 years? He began to pray. So, Lord, we just commit ourselves to you. We say we're hearing you, Lord. Show us what our ditches are. Show us what we can do, should do, must do. But also show us what we can't do, Lord. We can't bring revival. We can't bring the rain. But we can ask in the light of what you've promised. And come and say, Father, Father, you've promised Therefore, act faithfully. Be a faithful father. Be who you are, Lord. We're going to be who we are, your sons and daughters. Now you be who you are, Lord. Faithful father. And fulfill your promises to us. This is not our idea. It's your idea to fill all the earth with your glory. To honour the son that Jesus might be seen as Lord. And therefore, Lord, I pray this weekend, I pray for our dear friends from Horsham as they minister to us, Lord. I want to ask you, they really equip us to help us dig ditches, to help us get rid of junk and stuff that's hindered us and propel us together. We want to play our part, Lord. We thank you for the wider body of Christ. We thank you for every other believing Christian, every other believing group, every other church movement that's praying. Now, Lord, just bless us as we have this coffee break, Lord. Keep blessing us this weekend in Jesus' name.